Welcome to this week's episode of Whiskey and Mash. Welcome to this week's episode of Whiskey and Mash. I'm Chris Pullman. And I'm Gloria Ackerman. And this week we will be talking about Season 8, Episode 21, Goodbye, Cruel World, and Season 8, Episode 22, Dreams. And I'm very happy to say that I get to tell you about Goodbye, Cruel World, <laughs> and Chris gets the honors of talking about Dreams. That might sound <laughs> backwards, but you will see. You will see. You will see. They begin discussing, oh, I think... Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. One thing quick. I'll mention this at the end, too. Okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm ruining your mojo. I'm sorry. Something coming up. We're, <laughs> we're going to have uh, special episodes coming up. Because something that I found, thanks to um, a tip from a podcast show that I listened to. I believe it was the Happy Jacks RPG podcast. Yes, I play role-playing games like Dungeons & Dragons. I'm one of those. Never played one in my life. Just thought I'd point that out right now. But you're going to... Because somebody went to the trouble, and I'm grateful that they did, of making a MASH-themed RPG game, which is redundant since the G part is game, uh, based on Powered by the Apocalypse. If you've never listened or played an RPG, um, it's kind of like cooperative storytelling in a lot of ways. And that's what it's going to be like. We're going to record um, a little bit of character creation, and then we're going to do at most like two uh, two actual plays. They're going to be longer episodes, uh, at least in probably in the range of an hour and a half a piece, unless I don't cut them. So uh, th those will be coming up. It'll be anywhere from two to four episodes. I just wanted to let you know those will be coming up. And because I just decided my character. Okay, go ahead. Good, because we're going to be playing this. We're going to be playing uh, in the 8099th MASH. Uh, it's a fictional MASH unit. Basically, um, obviously the 4077th is fictional. The 8099th is as well. And it's basically in the same spot. It still reports up through i -Corps, uh, And I'm actually learning a lot about actual MASH history, uh, uh, Korean War history by uh, researching this. I'm going to be playing the, the company commander, the CO, and then Gloria, Laura, uh, and hopefully your brother. Uh, we'll be playing as uh, people in in the in the outfit. We'll get to who they are when we get there. But I just wanted to let you know up front, th those are going to be special episodes that'll take place, in place probably of this. in place of this right, for so for a couple of weeks. Uh, but you know you can, <laughs> so if you see those coming up, I'll label them. You can just skip over. I would encourage you to listen. I think it'll be fun. If you've never participated in or listened to a, a role-playing game, I, I have think never it'll done be it. fun. I'm very nervous because, <laughs> seriously, I, I don't know what I'm doing at all. It, so it might be fun just to tune in to yeah, hear... It, it's going to be like cooperative storytelling. Where, where, um, But anyway, just wanted to let you know that up front. I think it'll be a good time. I would encourage you to listen to those. Uh, that'll be coming up in a couple of weeks. So anyway, I'm sorry. Uh, Goodbye, Cruel World. Um, starts off with them in OR discussing, I think it's hilarious, they're discussing television. 
and huh. how cool it would be. Like BJ wants to just lay on the couch and watch television with his wife. I thought that sold him. And Winchester thinks it's a passing fad. Yeah. Who's gonna watch that? You mm-hmm. know how awful. Mm-hmm. Um, Clinger. As company clerk decides to decorate his office, brings a whole bunch of stuff in from Toledo, from his old bedroom, and it's a little much. We'll talk about that. <laughs> There's a gentleman, Sergeant Yee, who um, is American but is mistaken a lot for Korean and has to always prove himself. Um, well, yeah, he, he's a citizen, but he is ethnically... Chinese. Chinese. He's or ethnically Chinese. Korean, I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think and that could be ambiguous. But yes. he's ethnically the guys that he's Asian. fighting against. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, you know, that there's a story behind that and what happens to him. And um, we get to see um, Sidney Friedman yeah. come aboard and talk with Sergeant Yee. And Klinger decides he's going to leave because they told him they had to he had to take his whole room apart and so he sherman no do it I sherman t potter thank you no <laughs> sherman, sherman t potter much better <laughs> it could fool his own mother that if you actually speak in the person's voice apparently that helps you do their signature sherman so, t potter oh that was a good one <laughs> that would have been a good signature. So that is pretty much what's going on in this episode. And let's just discuss yeah. how it breaks down. Yeah. Um, you know, again, in OR, after talking about the TV, they bring in uh, Sergeant Yi, And uh, Hawkeye is going to work on him. The first thing he mentions is, look at all the scars all over this guy. Quite the hero mm-hmm. this guy is. Yeah, like, he was in Stars and Stripes. Yes, he and I mean he at this point threw him basically threw himself on something to save someone. So yeah, uh, like yeah, he's he's out to be the good guy. It seems, um, you know, and then once we see him recovering in post-op, all he can say is, "Hey, Doc." When do I get to go back? Yeah, and he's like, "No, you're going home." And the look in his eyes immediately was like, home. Yeah. It's just, he it, he couldn't accept it. And we find out why after Sydney has a chance to talk to him. Glinger, he didn't just put up a few things. No, he didn't. He had um, oriental rugs. He had... It, well, was, it was a crate the size of a twin bed. Right. And lamps. And, in fact, Margaret walks in and says, you have everything except the clock with uh, in the stomach of something. The, 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 uh, the uh, statue with, with the, the clock, clock in the belly. Stomach. And then Klinger kind of hides it a little because yeah. he did have that. Well, and the cheese. It was really tacky. Oh, yeah, smelly cheese. It, it was, he, I believe he referred to it as the uh, gypsy equivalent of Limburger. And yeah. he just had it hanging in, like, cheesecloth from the rafter. And that's the first thing. When Colonel Potter walked in, oh, he didn't even he see just, it first. He just, oh! Oh, the smell. But that's Klinger's smell. Like, that's mm-hmm. his home smell. So I could see where he would love that. But um, they told him he had to. Actually, he didn't say you have to take it down. He said, 
gather some of your closest friends and come in here and see what they think. And I felt bad because he gathered, let's see, there was Margaret and... He gathered his friends. BJ and Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think. Winchester. Yeah. And they all just laughed at him. Like, yeah. Because it was tacky. Come mm-hmm. on. That's <laughs> tacky. Yeah. Okay. Um, Potter referred to Klinger's, Klinger's decorating job as Polly Adler's parlor. Uh, Polly Adler opened her first bordello in 1920. <laughs> her brothel there boasted such patrons as blah, blah, blah. Oh, Desi Arnaz. Cool. Uh, mm-hmm. New York City mayor, mobsters. It had been theorized that the New York State Supreme Court justice, uh, Joseph Crater, missing since August 6, 1930, died in Polly Adler's brothel. <laughs> so, gaudy, garish. Gaudy, two that, great words mm, to describe. <sighs> so, Klinger was so hurt by that that he actually had everything all planned to get a discharge yeah and he had a three-day pass he had everything all figured out Mm -hmm. and as he was doing his sherman t-i-t-pata signature bj walked in on him and kind of caught him yeah clinger you know this won't work ah but you see i'm gonna get a three-day pass and then by the time they start looking for me i'll just be another face in a mud hens game you idiot! Then you're gonna spend the. What That's are you doing this for? You want freedom. They'd be looking for Maxwell Hugh Klinger, but not Sven Lagren. <laughs> what are you gonna do? Die? You Swedish meatball. <laughs> oh, thanks. That'll clench it. <laughs> yeah, and BJ leaves Klinger's office thinking that he's talked him out of it with the whole "you'll spend your whole life on the run" and. And Klinger just says. That BJ's a great guy. I'll miss him. Yeah. And then Winchester walks in. He's like, I won't miss him. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, well, then, yeah, uh, Sidney Friedman shows up and to talk to Sergeant E because he tried to kill himself. He smashed his water glass and then slid his wrists and um, in the process tore open all of his sutures. So they fix him up. They put him in restraints so he can't do it again. And I think... Like Margaret had said, we didn't see it. We didn't see yeah. it coming. Like, he was a happy guy. Like, it yeah. wasn't that he was committing suicide because of depression or sad, which normally... It didn't seem like it. it right. Right. Yeah. It, nothing seemed Out off place. to them. Right. But then uh, Sydney gets there. And did hypnosis, which yeah. surprised me yeah. by a little bit. They yeah. didn't show it. I don't think that's the only time he's done it. No. But... Um, you know, afterwards... Two hours. Yeah. Took. Yeah. Um, he has Kelly help him remove the restraints. And then he talks to Hawkeye and... And Kelly was like, no, no, I don't think we should. But he removed him and his hand kept twitching. Yeah. The, his, the sergeant's hand kept twitching. And as long as his hand was twitching, you didn't have to worry about him. Yeah. I gave him a substitute symptom. Wow. And to think, you know... It, the first time he tried to commit suicide, we almost lost him. The first time? Why do you think he's been going on such dangerous assignments? He's yeah. been trying to kill himself the whole time he's been here. Yeah. 
And then he called himself just a meatball psychiatrist. Yeah. That's not meatball psychiatrist. That's just... I I get what he's saying, though. Like, he he did enough to patch the guy up. And, yeah, the, the point was, you know, during World War II, he served in the European theater. And it wasn't exceptional, but was a good soldier. But then he came over here, and it was the first time he faced an Asian enemy. Somebody that... Looks like him. That could have been his family. And to be a good American... He has to kill Chinese. To be a good Chinese, he has to kill himself. Right. And so that was what was going on inside of him, whether he knew it or not, is this. His subconscious, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And when Sydney arrives. And it makes so much sense when he said it, you mm-hmm. know, but. Yeah. yeah. When Sydney arrives, there's a driver, a staff sergeant from I Corps, who asks for the paperwork that Klinger had. So that's when his discharge paperwork Started. goes off to I Corps HQ, and uh, then Potter. Oh, was so sweet. He was Potter. Yeah, you know, I know just the thing that'll get that twinkle back in your eye. How about one of those three-day passes to Seoul? Where do you keep those? Under W for <laughs> Whoopee? <laughs> nope, I have one right here on my desk. Sherman T. Putter. And he let him have pick anything he wanted, except the stinky cheese. Cheese, yeah. Any one thing he wanted from his his giant bed size mm-hmm, collection of, yeah. Mm-hmm. So then Claire goes running into the swamp. BJ, Rizzo says uh, that you just checked out the last Jeep. You've got to let me have it. What? No, I'm on fishing. <laughs> no. You know that, that packet I said I wasn't going to send? I sent it. Klinger. I don't want to go. After the old man said that I could put up something of my own. Called me son. So he, he ends up conning BJ out of his jeep. Runs down to Seoul. Pretends to be radar. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Gets to this, I don't, I don't know, I think it was like general. Well, it should say on here. Um, Lieutenant Colonel Burton D. Headley um, talks to him and uh, I have to know that that's a forgery of lies. Do I know you? Oh, gee golly, yes, yes sir. I'm, I'm Radar. Radar. Or oh, oh, uh, O'Reilly. O'Reilly, yes. Oh, You're Radar. We discussed. Funny, you don't look Irish. <laughs> oh, Black Irish, sir. You remember the Spanish Armada? Um, but he convinces the colonel to hand him back the paperwork, takes it back down to the 407, double seven, I'm assuming destroys it. But then... Uh, he probably filed it under W for yeah. whoops. Whoops. Uh, Potter at the end finds uh, the little pad of Practice Sermon signature. T. Pata. Okay. And <laughs> I'll continue to work on that. <laughs> but yeah, I'm admiring this. Oh, what does it say, sir? Oh, the same thing over and over again. Sherman T. Potter. Shirty, Sherman T. Potter. <laughs> Sherman T. Potter. Any idea who the author was? Uh, it was you, sir. You were signing <laughs> your name in your sleep. Probably a good thing you didn't wake me then, son. Oh, by, by the way. way there's too much swoop. swoop in your teeth. <laughs> oh my lord. That was the end. 
Yeah. Very, Good episode. Very, yeah. Um, you know, it, I really did think that was someplace else, though, and I don't know why. But. Yeah, no, me too. Okay. I, I was a little, it was a little unfortunate with um, Sergeant E, but I get it. You know, it was a good episode in terms of that. And compared to the next episode, this one was full of laughs. Yes. Uh, before we get there, though, guest stars recurring cast. We had Alan Arbus reprising his role as Major Sidney Friedman. We had Clyde Kusatsu as Sergeant Michael Yee. Uh, Philip Bruns as Lieutenant Colonel Burton D. Headley. James Carroll as the uh, Staff Sergeant The Courier. James Lowe. Kelly Nakahara as Nurse Kelly. Yes, they credited her for her lines in this episode, amazingly enough. David Kramer as an aide. Uh, aide to the... I'm assuming that's aide to the Colonel at i uh, Production code was S622. Writers were Thad Mumford and Dan Wilcox. Director, Charles S. Dubin. Original air date... February 11th, 1980. Hey, these are getting close enough that I, <laughs> I was almost born. Alright. Next. I have two pages of notes. That's season, the next one? Yeah. Season 8, episode 22, Dreams. This is one of those episodes where it just moved. It's like chock full. It, it was 24 minutes, but it felt like an hour. You know, that... It, that's how much was going on. Uh, basically, this was another deluge episode where they're just inundated with casualty after casualty after casualty. The doctors, the nurses, everybody has just been on constantly for at least two days straight. Uh, the 8063rd is bugged out, so all the casualties are coming into the 4077th. And none of them are going out. Yeah, yeah. no ambulances, no bed space. They're literally having to construct bunk beds in post-op and use every square foot of space that they can for post-op room. Um, and in the midst of all this, uh, as opposed to, like, Deluge, where we see what it's like for the patients a little more, here we focus on the doctors, on the nurses, and all the senior staff, uh, Klinger included, end up falling asleep. You know, just to try and get a little shut-eye. But the worst part about it is that when they fall asleep, the war follows. It invades their dreams with nightmares. And none of them sleep well. And we see from everybody, including uh, Father Mulcahy, just the war is right there with them. Uh, that's that's the basic synopsis. It ends with them in the mess tent after this is all over. And they're all like, I'm so tired, I've got to go sleep. And Charles says, ah, to sleep, perchance to dream. Oh, let's stay in here a while. I could use some more coffee. I'll pour. I didn't want to deal with that dreaming again. Yeah. So, let... um. Let me step through each of the dreams first, and then we can go back and talk okay. about the intervening plot. Okay. So first we have Margaret. You're choking me. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you're, you're on the court. Uh, nope, your shoe is. No, you were too. But oh, sorry. <laughs> thank you. Um, Maybe I was doing that on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. <laughs> That's a blunder. 
first we have Margaret, who uh, knocks off for a little bit. And her, in her dream, she sits up in her cot in a wedding dress. And she walks out and she meets her husband. And they're sitting on their wedding bed in the middle of this open field. And you can hear a heartbeat. And in walks the war. There's a line of soldiers and her husband gets up and goes with. And as she's sitting there watching him go, a bloody hand comes up from behind her and, and just kind of uh, asking for help in how it touched her, grasps her shoulder. And she, you know, stands up and looks and her bed is just littered with wounded now, just laying on top of each other. And then she's alone in this empty field, her wedding dress drenched in blood. Uh, BJ is next. His hands are cramping, so he, he um, he's told to take a break. He goes out, lays down on a gurney, and falls asleep thinking of Peg. And all of a sudden, they're dancing in this uh, kind of waiting ward. It's Technically, it would be kind of like between Supply and OR. And there's a, a ball dance going on, and in from outside or what would be outside comes peg downstairs and then they're dancing and they dance into or and back and forth and then potter because it's still or there's still surgery going on potter taps bj on the shoulder hands him a scalpel bj turns around and has to start cutting again and peg just backs out up the stairs two men helper assist yeah Next up is Potter. He's He called the lieutenant down at HQ who wouldn't send the jeeps and was trying to tell him, you have to send him. We don't have anywhere to put these people. And the lieutenant said, sir, I would be financially responsible. Why don't you call me again once the shooting is let up a little bit? Um, so Potter falls asleep saying, I don't believe it. I'm surrounded by children who are telling me I can't play with their toys. And um, in his dream, in through his office doors walks a black stallion. And he mounts the horse. They ride out. He's galloping away. The war shows up. Not only did he wake up in his office to mount the horse, but then as he's running along, there's uh, some Chinese soldiers who throw a, a pineapple grenade at him. And he just has a polo mallet and hits it away, and it becomes fireworks in the sky. And he goes through a little bit of brush, and there is a little boy riding a horse beside a log cabin. And from the cabin we hear, Sherman! Sherman! Time to eat! And then Potter is woken up by Klinger. Just before he takes a bite. It's been so long since I've tasted her apple pie. Mm. Next up in the swamp, we see Charles taking a nap as they're setting casualties down around him. So again, they are using every inch of available space in camp for post-op. Um, and as he's sleeping, all of a sudden the swamp uh, uh, wall pulls up and there's OR. And Charles gets up and he is in full like magician cape and gear. And he starts to do a magic show for all of the people in the operating room. And there are 
adoring him and Klinger's passing around the hat and he makes a cane appear and he makes a deck of cards go from small to large and they wheel in a wounded man with a chest belly wound and Charles keeps performing and he pulls streamers out of his mouth and the man starts to choke on his own blood and Charles is pulling flags out of his ear and the man's starting to die and the man dies on the gurney and everybody is just staring at Charles who's sweating and Charles starts doing a tap dance with two sparklers and he wakes with a start next Mulcahy in post-op is um, taking confession from a uh, young man and the young the, whoever that actor was did a great job I thought because whenever Mulcahy started to nod off he started to mumble but not just like incoherent mumbling it was mumbling that felt like it was speech just garbled like would happen to you if you were yeah. trying to yeah if you were falling asleep while intently trying to listen because Mulcahy for a second wakes back up and all of a sudden the guy's speech clears up and you can understand it it was amazing it really was but then he falls asleep and into the mess tent the doors open and he is carried by four bearers on this immaculate chair wearing the pontiff's robes he's just been elected the pope and so he is carried into the mess tent his sistine chapel and he is set down and he mounts the uh, pulpit to read from the Bible and all of a sudden blood drops on the Bible and there's a giant crucifix next to him and he looks up and he looks down and more blood spatters and he looks up again and all of a sudden Jesus has turned into a, a wounded GI and he looks down and now instead of the crowd before him it the mess tent has turned into an operating room and then he wakes up uh, Klinger falls asleep next trying to warm up some blood because it's frozen so he's trying to warm it up um, and he walks out of the supply room where he had fallen asleep into Toledo uh, specifically 7 South Superior Street how do I know that's about where he walked out because he walks out and sees Tony Paco's, which is a real place in Toledo. Of course, Chris looked it up, phoned the... <laughs> and, and we can be pretty Seconds. sure that's about where he actually is in Toledo because there are street signs, yeah. And the three of them that I looked up that I can confirm, Bowling Green was about 29 miles away, Sandusky was about 58, and Cleveland was about 112, which is pretty close from that location. So he actually, like, walked out. Whether or not that's actually what that looked like in 1950, who knows. Uh, but he walks out, he goes over to Paco's, and the streets are just deserted. You know, it looks empty. You know, the wind blowing, almost, mm -hmm. you could almost picture the tumbleweed yeah. blowing, you know. And yeah, and he has to rub the dirt off of the Paco's window, and he looks in and there's Colonel Potter operating on someone and he uh, motions with his finger that Clear needs to come in and then he looks down and the camera pans and there on the operating table is Klinger. So he's watching himself. Get operated on and then Kelly wakes him up 
And he kissed her. That was so cute. I'm sorry. Clinger, <laughs> if you don't run a phone to post up in the next two minutes, the colonel's going to have your hide. Mm-hmm. Oh, lieutenant. Those are the sweetest words I've ever heard. I'm alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last one to fall asleep was Pierce, and it was after what they thought was the end of this deluge of patience, but he falls asleep. Charles is to his right in his tobogganing cap, and um, this professor, so they're in the mess tent, this professor shakes Hawkeye awake and goes, what is the procedure? Uh, I'm sorry I was asleep. What is the procedure to reattach a severed limb and Hawkeye just, I, I don't know. And so the professor asks him to remove his left arm. Twist it. Now pull. And he does. And it's, it's a mannequin's arm, clearly. But he twists it, hands it over to the professor, uh, who is standing next to a GI with only one arm. His other sleeve was pinned up and said, this man would like his arm back. Can you do it? Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I was asleep. And so then the professor throws Hawkeye's arm and you hear it splash. What is the procedure? I don't, I don't know. Your right arm. <laughs> he only has one arm. So Charles helps him, like, twist it, pull it off. And the professor throws that too, you hear a splash. And then the camera pans back and you see Hawkeye limbless or armless not limbless he had his yeah, legs yeah. in a boat that's floating in this pond bumping up against all these mannequin limbs um it floats up and you see this little korean girl with a belly wound and then he approaches a gurney with somebody on it and then he hears chopper blades and in his dream he just screams no and then he wakes up and there are actual choppers and yeah, then the nightmare becomes real again so that was fun um but that's that's the backbone of this it was very bizarre yeah like great writing great yeah. great <laughs> it makes you think in a different way than i've ever <laughs> than you ever think as you're sitting back watching television mm-hmm. like it just it brought you to places actually kind of brought me to places of times that i've had dreams you know mm-hmm. like we all have these mm-hmm. unexplainable crazy dreams but they can't escape theirs because they're there they're living in it yeah it, it was just really well done really a different take letting us see a little bit from like i said the the from side the of the from the the officers side um but it, it was just yeah surreal and odd and their dreams were the main part of this episode everything else was just kind of connective Definitely. tissue because it's you know in or operating outside of or trying to figure out how to get some of these soldiers out uh in post-op making the bunk beds where they have a lieutenant general, I think, um, General Coogan, 
who's like, why can't we get any of these men out of here? <laughs> well, there's a pimple lieutenant who won't send us any of his ambulances. <laughs> Give me just five minutes to talk to him. And he does, and because he does. the general says, Lieutenant, I'm sure that you have a very good reason for not sending those ambulances up here. Yes, sir. Yes, I do. Mm. Fine. Why don't you come up here and explain it to me in person? person. And he knows they're shelling, and he knows that's why he doesn't want to send the ambulance. So... In person, sir? Yes, Lieutenant. In person. person. I'll send those ambulances right away, sir. <laughs> um... It did and... make me think, though. Did he mean... Does he want him really to come? I mean, oh, a general no. gives you an I'm, order. No, he I'm just sure wants the ambulance. Just, I'm sure it was just a, a To get bluff. the ambulance. Okay. But, um, you know, one... Uh, hold on. I lost my train of thought. That's what you heard derail. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, just really, I think those are the only major parts of non-dream plot that we see. You know? I think that's it, because, again, you know, the only other non-dream part is when they wake back up and they're still in <laughs> in the deluge that they didn't think they were, but that comes right out of Hawkeye's nightmare. And at that point, before they're done, Potter makes the comment, we treated 211 patients in 33 Three hours. hours. Okay, yep. I'm just going to... Cortana, I want to open a calculator. Because I just want to do the math. We had 211 patients in 33 hours by four surgeons. That means every hour, each surgeon operated on 1.6 patients. So And keeping in mind, putting limbs back. I mean, not just operations. Yeah. I mean... Lots of I, work. Like... Just a wrist operation is two hours mm -hmm. around here, you know, yeah. so it's meatball surgery. And that's nonstop. And it, it's nonstop without that's sleep. That's nonstop, yeah. That's every, that's each of the four hours. doctors working constantly for 33, 33 hours. hours. They each had almost two patients an hour that they had to see. Basically, in two hours, you would have seen three patients. Or you would have operated on three people. So, I mean... You know what? In, so you had to pick and choose what you were going to do. Yeah. So, like, when he's saying, how did you do limbs? I'm sure he had to make choices, and he's had to make them before in mm -hmm. other episodes. Do you want the life or the limb? Yeah. And, and, and we've heard yeah. him say that how many times now? Well, and there was, there was a point in OR, BJ is going to sleep, Potter's in his office trying to get ambulances, it's Hawkeye and Charles... And they bring in a new patient, and Hawkeye says, Charles, get over there. And Charles says, no. No. Well, who's going to operate on him? Well, your chief surgeon, so I assume mm -hmm. chiefly you. So. Yeah, because Potter actually had to leave. So he had a patient mm -hmm. open, and they mm -hmm. said, he's like, why don't you get over here and do it? There wasn't anyone. There wasn't. Get over there and yeah. so, finish up. Yeah. Hawkeye so had to I'm make sure a decision. Nurses again were... by, by the way, with if those numbers were at all accurate, 
211 patients in 33 hours. That means each doctor did surgery on 53 people in roughly a day and a half. Wow. And that's before they were done because they still got more wounded. So, um, do you have anything else? I mean, this was big. Yeah, it, it was gut-wrenching. I don't even know how else to say it. It was just yeah. gut-wrenching because you saw the insides. You saw their dreams. Or, or in our, this case, nightmares, I think. This is one of those where you just did not have time to breathe. It was a sprint. The whole right. episode was a sprint. And, and usually I, you don't see Father Mulcahy having this intense. Yeah. You know, usually he's a more laid-back guy, mm -hmm. but even he was having... Yeah. 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 Um, so, no, I don't have anything else. Okay. So. It was a great episode. Um, apparently, this also made uh, Alan Alda's favorite MASH episodes, which I oh. completely get. Um, I'm curious to see it, who the director of this is. <laughs> it was Alan Alda. It was? <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. He, I... he helped write it, and he directed it. Okay. It's, <laughs> so... Well, that's why I was wondering, because it sounds like him. Um, this is totally yeah. an Alan Alda. It's more intense than I'm used to Alda episodes being. Well, I I could I I would have bet. You know, on to that. to me, most of the time when I think of Alan Alda, I'm sorry, I love your work, I do, but it's like he's intense. It, it's maudlin and it's kind of preachy at times. This was not. It was just go go go. And what did I just watch for the last? <laughs> 25 minutes oh my god it was a great episode you should watch it um you can probably find these out on amazon ebay otherwise i know that they're still showing them on uh tv land tv land and um, i watched them today amc yeah different times of the day and channel 10 i don't know what that is so i think it's mm. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, look it up. Set them to record. You can always go back in our back uh, catalog and, and match up. Watching. Yeah, match up what you're able to watch with our episodes. Uh, just one more note from the research fun facts on the wiki that I use. Uh, this episode is an indication that Goof Off Hawkeye is finally beginning to have the start of a nervous breakdown oh. under the strain of war. He has earlier symptoms in the late Captain Pierce when he confesses that he can't take the war anymore. And his dream. And his and dream his, one, yeah. Yes. Um, where he's playing marbles. So, yeah, I, I think we're really starting to see it here. Where, you know, other people, I, I don't know if, I don't know how their dreams well, other, stack up. But other people have their families to look forward to and their, where, and we've seen this, and you've talked about it before, how his life is his job. Like yeah. he Well that's why he, he couldn't felt, marry. He couldn't marry. He couldn't because this is who he is. His job is him. And a lot of us are. I mean yeah. a lot of us our job is who we are. Yeah. Or, but Yeah, it's very him, true in America. Um and yeah, spoilers that comes back in a big way in the series finale. Yes. Um yeah. But Interesting, interesting episode. Uh, Great episode, watch it. Guest stars recurring cast. Ford Rainey as General Coogan. We had Rob Haynes as Private Taylor. 
Fred Stotherman as Hawkeye's college professor, Kelly Nakahara as Nurse Kelly, Rick Waln as Lieutenant Garvey, so he would be the one who wouldn't send up the ambulances, uh, Catherine Bergstrom as Peg Honeycutt, Connie Ize as Connie, Curtis Sanders as Young Sherman Potter. <laughs> Production code was S612. Oh, that was an early one. Yeah. Writers, Alan Alda for the teleplay story, and James J. Rubenfear as uh, credited for the story. Director, Alan Alda. Original air date, February 18th, 1980. So they made this one early and said, ah, oh, we can't put this. <laughs> we, we need to wait till the end of the season to put this out. Let's go out with a bang. Let's not start it with this. Because, yeah. yeah. We need it in the winter when people are... Us. Yeah, because <laughs> this will help. Um, so next week uh, will be our last episode of season eight. And uh, looking up quickly, that'll be episode 95 for us. This will be 94, 95. So we're going to hit 100 probably while we're doing the special RPG-ness. So you can hear us have cake then. Woohoo! Cake! <laughs> Um, just a reminder about that again. Rum I mentioned cake. it at top. <laughs> Ooh, tiramisu. Oh, I don't like tiramisu. How do you, it's rum. It's coffee. It's coffee and rum. <laughs> if you soak it with enough rum, you don't taste the coffee. <laughs> rum cake doesn't have coffee. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Um, Tell them how to watch us. Well, I, again, like I said at the top of the episode, we are going to have a special like two to four week arc we're going to be playing MASH. It's an RPG uh, game based on... Uh, uh, oh, no, I can't. Uh, made by made by the Apocalypse. Made by Apocalypse. That's not right, but it's close. Powered by Apocalypse. Thank you, Brain. Powered by the Apocalypse system. He does uh, this without notes, by the way, so we're, impressive. I also don't edit because I feel it's more real that way. Uh, we're going to be playing Mashed, which is a power, powered by the Apocalypse system RPG. And uh, we'll be doing that as a live uh, actual play, so you'll be able to hear it. I'll, I'll mention that up front on those two, so you can skip through those if you don't care to listen to them. I, I would encourage you to. I think it'll be fun to at least listen to us uh, stumble our way through being doctors or nurses or whatever. Uh, but if you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more of our episodes, you can either go over to your favorite podcast application or iTunes or whatever you use, including Stitcher Radio, and search for Whiskey and Mash. You will find us there. You can subscribe to our feed and then get every new episode downloaded automatically to your podcast playing device. Otherwise, if you don't do the podcast thing but you still want to listen to us or you want to catch up with our back episodes, you can head over to our website, narclaninc.com. Go to the podcast link, go to the Whiskey and Mash page. There on the site are all of our back episodes as MP3s. Every time I upload a new episode, it automatically updates that list so it's live. You can either download or stream our episodes from the website. Also on that website, you will find links to email us here at the show or over to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash whiskey and mash. You can like us, follow us over there so that you know every time a new episode comes out. Also, 
uh, you can message us, comment on our episodes, let us know what you think, and let us know that you are out there. We appreciate knowing that we have an audience. If you think that this is a podcast worthy of your support and your love and devotion, <laughs> what? That's not a little over. For, forget okay. that last. Forget the last part. Ooh. If you feel that we have earned some of your support the best way you can do that for us right now is to share this podcast with a friend a family member a co-worker an enemy that's okay i say that joke every week and it never gets old because i'm a dad and i can make dad jokes and you know I just, just ignore them yeah <laughs> so does my daughter um just help us spread this podcast help us get more of a fan base because again after this after we're through all the MASH episodes, we're playing and doing After MASH. And after After MASH, uh, either Frasier or the Mary Tyler Moore show. And I just became aware from my manager at work, uh, Stephanie told me that not only is there the Mary Tyler Moore show, but then there's a spinoff, Rhonda. Rhoda. Rhoda. I'm yes. sorry, Rhoda. Because apparently she thinks that I sound like Carlton the Doorman. Oh, funny! <laughs> I think I sound like Garfield the Cat, but they're the same guy, so it works. But, you know, we, we I could definitely see us doing Mary Tyler Moore and then, um, since right. I said it wrong, the spinoff, Rhoda. 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 Oh. Um, but I would like to get uh, uh, Frasier in there, too, because I'm hoping to get Ben. Oh, cool. Your son on there. That would be great. He sounded interested when we brought that up a year ago. Yeah. <laughs> ben, I'm, I'm still counting that. Yeah. You're still interested. Never say yes to Chris. <laughs> he doesn't it's forget. It's a contract. <laughs> it's a contract. Verbal contract. Thank so. you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, I am Chris. I am Gloria. Until next week, um, enjoy your martini. <laughs> I don't have 90 episodes outro. and I still couldn't do that ending if you <laughs> paid me <laughs> what can I say I'm, I'm good at uh, spewing yeah senseless spewing. stuff <laughs> yeah. have a good week everyone bye bye so yeah um, I could do a double Joey's on nights Joey's on home by two if you want double on Sunday or okay. start this on Sunday going to be the, well, I think Tom's going to be the main limiting factor there since he was bored, yeah, but, um, yeah, no, I'm getting, this is the camp roster, and these are all of the people. I'm going to be a female psychiatrist okay. that is Okay, we can see well, about that. Well, Sydney has helped out. He has. No, you're right. You're right. There's two different kinds. There's psychologists and psychiatrists. One has medical training. Okay. Okay. Let me look it up. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So just a just a non-staff psychiatrist person. Okay. I'll look that up. Have a good week, everyone. Bye.